Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There are few areas of nutrition as deeply rooted in society as fermented dairy. Foods such as yogurt, cheese and kefir made by fermenting milk with live bacteria have long been a staple of healthy diets. Now, kefir is a fermented drink derived from the Turkish word for joy and pleasure, which dates back as far as 10,000 BC and is loaded for its ability to improve digestion and boost immune systems. Fermented dairy can be rich in probiotics. That's live bacteria that nourish your gut, made up of trillions of microorganisms that live in your intestinal tract and govern everything from how well you digest the food you eat to the way your body absorbs nutrients. Yo Valley Kefir is lovingly made with organic British milk and 14 distinctive strains of lactic cultures for maximum gut flora diversity. Creamy and tangy, it literally packs billions of live bacteria in every spoonful. Available in natural, mango and passion fruit, blueberry and strawberry flavours, the daily boost you need to try is in the yogurt aisle at all the major supermarkets. To find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Winter months can be hard on us all. With shorter days and darker evenings now upon us, we all want to wake up in the morning and go through our day feeling motivated and energised. And sadly, this doesn't always happen, particularly as we are creatures of habit. And more often than not, our lifestyle patterns need to be shaken up and reinvigorated to ignite the motivation within us. So how can we energise ourselves and get the motivation we need so that we can get the most out of life? Well, joining me today is Robert West, Professor of Psychology at University College London and an associate of UCL's Centre for Behaviour Change, who is here to help us understand behaviours, persuasion and influencing factors of motivation. Hello, Robert. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know you're you're very busy in terms of everything you're doing in your life at the moment, research, and you've got your book. 
I think many of our listeners will want to start with the main kind of question, how on earth can we all jump out of bed in the morning, feel motivated and inspired for the day ahead? (laughs) (laughs) Not a difficult question at all. Not at all. Um, Well, the thing to remember is that, um, I don't know, one way of thinking about it is that every day... (laughs) <laughs> it's going to sound really trite, but you know the, the standard thing is every day is a new day, right? It's new opportunities, new challenges, and so on. Um, but actually, another way of putting it is like every day is like another roll of the dice, mm. because there's a huge amount of luck involved in our lives. And one of the things that uh, those of us who are more optimistic and uh, sort of feel quite good about ourselves, rather smugly saying that, um, uh, sort of feel is that when good things happen happened to us uh, we think well that must be because what I did you know Mm. I'm such a great guy and uh, uh, and so I deserve it Uh, and people who um, struggle and there are people who struggle really seriously with mental health problems and depressions on with the very same events that happen they feel this is my fault this is me I'm like this and it'll always be like this and the reality of course is that you know life throws us these challenges and and opportunities and so the way to address it each morning if you can to the extent that you can is to say well look it's another roll of the dice. Let's see what happens. What, what's gone is gone. What's been is been. Uh, what have we got coming up? And let's see how we can tackle it. That's a very, very good way of looking at it and changing your mindset around it. I like the role of the dice analogy there, definitely. Well, the role of the dice analogy comes from my work on smoking, actually, which is where, it, I mean, it's a very specific example where people, a lot of people try to stop loads and loads of times. Uh, and they haven't succeeded, and they think, oh, my goodness me, I'm never going to succeed. But the reality is, and this is you know, based on research from a number of people, including our, my own lab, uh, is that every time you try, it's like another roll of the dice. The fact that you've tried and failed many times in the past actually has no difference, just like dice, has no effect on the chances of stopping the next time. And and the annoying thing for some people is that, of course, some people th- throw the dice, and they throw two dice, and they get two sixes. And they think, <laughs> that was easy. I don't see what the problem is. They do it fade straight away, and others take longer. So anyway, just remember that, uh, you know, you, you, the stuff you can do uh, to, uh, to improve your life and to make things uh, better for yourself and people you care about there's also a lot of luck. Yes, you're right. With I think using an example like smoking, that really is quite a good one to apply with the roll of the dice. And you've also mentioned before that there are two types of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. Could you delve into these for us? Yes, I think a lot of people will have heard the terms intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and they'll think, well, intrinsic motivation is that part of what you want or need that is intimately tied with what you're doing. So if I say I'm intrinsically motivated to go to work in the mornings, it means I enjoy it, I get fulfilment out of it, it's something that I want to do in and of itself. Um, and extrinsic motivation, uh, by contrast, is something you do for some external reason, like you get paid, <laughs> for example. <laughs> it's good motivator. <laughs> it is quite a good motivator, as it turns out. Now, um, the thing is that uh, although we do use that distinction quite a lot, it gets very blurred. I mean, if you think about just going to work, for example, um, if you were only to go to work purely because of the money, 
you some people do because some people's jobs are just not satisfying or rewarding uh, or the social environment in which they operate is not uh, pleasant and so they're really just doing it for the money but in most cases there's something that is about the job about the fulfillment about the feeling that you're doing something useful being useful to society to your friends and so on um, that is important so so a lot of the things that we do are actually a mixture of extrinsic and intrinsic and um, so in the in the book Energize, uh, my son, who interviews me for the book, um, points out he's a musician that actually it can also work the other way. So as a musician and any musician will probably mm. uh, this will resonate with them is that you're kind of like the last person in the chain to get paid for anything. You know, ex-musician pe- <laughs> here can speak from experience. <laughs> yeah, everyone's saying, oh, it'll be good for your CV or, you know, it'll be good experience. So we'll t- tell it to the plumber. You hire a plumber and say, well, you know, it'll be good for your CV. Yeah, but I actually need to get paid as well. Anyway, the point that he makes about this extrinsic intrinsic uh, distinction is that Funnily enough, when he is paid, it actually makes the intrinsic motivation greater because he feels valued. And I think that is important. Oh, it's it's hugely important. And you are quite right there when you use the plumber analogy against, you know, a musician. Because anyway, I could go off on a personal um, rant there and I won't. But is there one that's better than the other then? Or do we just need to maximise the potential of both? We need to maximise the potential of both and recognise when you need to foreground one versus the other. And, And these are the sort of situations with intrinsic motivation, then it is self policing. In a sense, you don't need to be sitting there over someone with a stick to make sure they do it or making sure that they actually did it if you're going to pay them for something. And so in a way, that's what you're ultimately seeking. But sometimes, as we were talking about in the musician example, you need to provide extrinsic motivation in order to get there. Uh, With the extrinsic motivation, you have to recognise that it will be subject, it will be subject to gaming. Uh, that is to say that uh, if the person is doing it purely for the reward or to avoid the punishment, then they will do what's necessary to get the reward or punishment and not necessarily the thing that you want them to do. So there's a, a quite a nice example of this. I say nice. It's not a nice example. It's actually a pretty horrific example because it was very expensive for the taxpayer. Um, but it's, but it's, uh, I, th- I think we use it in the book. It's that I work, working in the field of smoking, uh, stopping smoking, uh, we found that if a GP just simply provides brief advice to a smoker to stop, then it actually can get a, a fair number of people to have a go at stopping, and many of those will succeed. But the GPs weren't doing it. And so what the government decided was, well, I know what we'll do. We'll pay them. We'll pay them to do it. Sounds like a reasonable idea. OK, you pay them to do it, they'll do it. And um, and so uh, they did, uh, to the tune of about 80 million quid <gasps> a year. And what happened? Well, you can imagine what happened. What happened was that the GPs ticked a box to say that they'd done it. But when you asked the patients whether they thought this had happened, there was no evidence for an increase. And what had happened there was that they had just simply... Um, fail to apply the most basic behavioural science principles to this situation and recognise that it's not that GPs are bad people, they're really good people, but they're people just like anyone else. And they're busy. Yeah. 
And they may, you know, a more important topic may arise in their 10 minutes of time and it's tricky. It is tricky, but also one has to recognise that, put yourself in the position of a GP, you're very busy, as you say, uh, but also it's not that easy to raise the topic of smoking with someone because they didn't come in to talk about smoking, they Mm -hmm. came in to talk about something else. And now you've got to break the social a sort of convention here and raise the topic. And so what was also needed, and now what we do provide, is training for GPs. So they had the motivation, the the extrinsic motivation. They'd already had the intrinsic motivation, to be quite honest. All GPs were saying, well, I should do this anyway. Um, but what they didn't have was the skill set that made them feel comfortable doing it. And so that's what we now provide. That's excellent to hear. I think skill set to manipulate behavior change is one of the key components. And I find it in my nutrition clinic. I had to actually go and study a further uh, psychology-related degree in order to understand people's behavior Mm. to even help give them advice in my clinic walls. So it just goes to show. And I think we've mentioned and we've touched on economics. We know that it can be a common motivator. But what are some of the other key factors that can be used for people to improve their motivation all round. So is it the rewards of performance? Okay, in in terms of improving your own motivation, Mm. I think probably the most important single thing is to have a clearer idea about what you want. And this is, you think, oh, well, that's how hard, you know, that can't be too hard. I know what I want. Well, do you? And um, to give you an example from my own experience, when I was a student, I came up to UCL, studied psychology. Actually, I studied medicine first and then psychology. And I thought that what I wanted was to party all the time and stay out all night. And it took me about a year or two to realize what I really wanted was to be in bed (laughs) (laughs) and and asleep. And so Mm. um, because I was what I was doing is I was using the conventions and the cultural norms in my group to determine what I wanted uh, or to what I thought I wanted rather than to inspect what actually makes me happy. And so it's really important in our own lives to say, well, hang on a minute, what actually makes me happy and fulfilled? And when you do that and you connect with that, I know it sounds a bit trite, uh, but, but you know, we don't do it enough. Um, then at least that's a starting point because you can say, well, how do I achieve that? And I think one of the key things that I do try and say in all the behavioral science uh, work that I do and teaching and workshops and so on is to understand um, if you've got something that you want to achieve, then have a clear idea about what it is and how you're going to get there rather than reacting to events. So be goal-directed. Think, well, hang on a minute. What do I want out of this situation? Let's say you're in a, in a uh, just for the sake of argument, you're in a, uh, you're in a party with someone. Mm-hmm. And that's someone, and this is something that happens to me every now and then, um, that someone is having a go, right? They're having a go about something, whether it's politics, and they're expostulating about, uh, and you're thinking, the, you know, why am I listening to this? This oh, is rather pointless. I, I think we've all had this experience. We have. Um, but what our natural tendency to do is to react and say, well, no, you're wrong. And then it, you expostulate and they expostulate and you expostulate. Nothing ever happens. You just haven't, you've just wasted about, you know, 20 minutes of your life. Um, if instead you said, well, actually, what do I want out of this situation? Uh, well, actually, I want to have a good time at the party. You say, well, I'm just going to go to the loo now. Yeah, we'll get a drink. <laughs> I'm going to just nip off over here. <laughs> um, but Or if you really care, 
about changing their mind about something and you think that you can do it, then what you say is you don't have a go back. What you say is, um, yeah, I, you know, uh, I completely understand what you're saying. So you're setting up a reciprocity. These, this is one of the tricks of persuasion for those of you listening. You say, I compl- if, by the way, if any of you ever come up to me in a conversation and say, I completely understand what you're saying, I'll know where it came from. Uh, I completely understand what you're saying um, and I can see where you're coming from. And I sometimes say things like, you know what, and, and I also used to think that. But now what I've realised is, and then you uh, say the reasons why you believe it's something different. So you're showing respect, you're showing reciprocity, and and you're engaging in a constructive way. And it doesn't always work, but it gives you a better chance of changing someone's mind. And I've got one more thing to say about changing people's mind is that you won't know that you've changed their mind because they won't say so. It's very rare for someone to go, oh my God, what an idiot I am thinking all these (laughs) things. You've completely persuaded my mind. I am now going to change my mind and think what you think. What will happen is that over a period of days or weeks or sometimes even months, their their mind will change and they will believe that they always thought that. Oh, Robert, this is tapping into my love of psychology, honestly. And you're right. I think people are too consumed in societal norms and things that surround us, what our parents did before us or what we should be doing rather than what we want to do. Such invaluable advice there, guys. And would you also add that failure is equally an important motivation to turn something into a success? I think it is if it's treated the right way. Uh, again, going back to smoking as an example, mm. um, the, the, when people try to stop smoking and let's say a person lasts a week or two weeks, uh, they think, oh, my goodness, I failed. They go back mm. to smoking. And um, that's not right. You didn't fail. There's no such thing as failure when you try to stop smoking. Uh, Because what's happened is you've spent two weeks of your life not smoking. That's equivalent to about a day or two uh, extra happy life expectancy um, just for those two weeks, regardless of what happens after that. And so the only failure really is in the not trying. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that failure is not something that you should beat yourself up over is something that happens that we really all experience uh, and it's how you respond to it that determines what uh, uh, what happens next and uh, and how useful it can be uh, or otherwise so if you say you know you try to do something you fail oh it's because I'm a terrible person I don't know what I'm doing I'm a complete idiot oh my goodness that's obviously uh, not going to be terrifically helpful um, if you say ah you know what, that didn't work. I wonder what else I can try. Uh, Then that gives you something to go from. And and that's the purpose of failure. Mm. Uh, And and by the way, any of you who think that, you know, if you're a professor of psychology, that your life has been one long string of successes, you you can think again, because anyone in in academia will tell you that experience, our overwhelming experience is failure. Failure to get our grants funded, failure to get our papers (laughs) accepted in journals, we mostly fail. Yeah, I think um, this wasn't a question I was going to ask, but related to failure, I've experienced it in the music industry before getting into my current situation now. But in terms of academia, and we're talking about maybe youngsters at school, I think we're all set up in a way that if we get 
below the grade C at school from a very young age, you have failed. And I don't, I don't think or I don't remember that there's much encouragement after that to say, but you can try again, you know. It's almost like I think in the education system for youngsters, there's such emphasis on you must get high grades, you must pass X, Y and Z to make you a good person. I don't know what you, if you have any thoughts on that. I don't know if I phrased yeah, that question. Yeah, well, I do have thoughts yes, on, on good, it. Yes, good, and, and I completely agree. I, I think that um, it's punishing, it's soul-destroying, yes. and it's counterproductive because the reality, of course, is that every, literally every human being has stuff that they can do that will make a difference to the world uh, in some way or another for the, be- for the, for the good. And uh, that has got to be true. I don't think anyone would deny that. So with that premise, once you say that, you say, our job in the education system is to find out what that thing is and help them to develop it. And that's it. Not to sort and select people into sheeps and goats and the good and the bad and so on. And again, you know, educationists have been banging on about this for so long. Um, But it's such a strong cultural norm, this idea about competition, success and failure, Mm. uh, that it's a struggle to get it through. I mean, to be fair... Schools have changed since I was at school, where I think it was even a lot worse than that. Mm. And now when I think about, or I think even about my children and their schooling experience, and they're in their 30s now, it was a lot better than it was when I was at school. And teachers, by and large, are so much more supportive and, in my view, professional than they were in those days. So, So however bad... People may think they are at the moment. You know, we have a wonderful education system. It's got a long way to go, uh, but it does recognise to some degree that essentially this this basic truth, which is that everyone has something to contribute. And uh, everyone has the right to have access, which we are so lucky and fortunate for in the UK to have access to education. We are very, very lucky. Uh, of course, that's also a bit of a lottery to talk about rolling dice. Yes, <laughs> but, where um, you are. Mm. Uh, but one thing to bear in mind uh, for those you know who are sort of worried about if if you've if you've got kids, for example, and you're worried about where they're going to go to school, actually, because of the way that education systems run, for all its faults, um, then the school that your child goes to actually makes relatively little difference to your outcomes in life Uh, a lot of it more of it has to do with your own home background and your culture and stuff like that so um, you know one doesn't have to get too worked up about the choice of school oh that's so beautifully put again and I'm an anecdotal example of going to a bog standard state school that's so bad it's been knocked down yet I'm doing okay in life so honestly anyone listening there is definitely hope Uh, Moving on from education, if you're a business owner or a manager, what are some effective ways that you can motivate your team, so your employees? Because I'm Mm. sure people out there must struggle with that. Mm. I think, uh, of course, there's there's books and books and books written (laughs) on motivating in the the workplace. And and one of the things that they uh, constantly go on about absolutely rightly is the issue of job satisfaction and fulfilment. Um, and uh, if I had to add something to that sort of standard fare that, that you hear about, it would be around expectations. So humans have, uh, in pretty well every aspect of what we judge and what we perceive, a thing which uh, in the jargon is called an adaptation level. Adaptation level. What's the adaptation level? It's your, it's your kind of neutral position. 
against which you judge things to be better or worse, or bigger or smaller, or lighter or darker. So everything is judged according to this level. Mm-hmm. Now, in uh, business, when you've, when you've got, whether it's a customer or a member of your workforce, you've got to think, what is their adaptation level for what I'm asking of them and what I'm giving them? So to give you an example, if you, let's say you're thinking of employing someone and in the interview, you say, well, I'm really keen to to have you, and um, I think we can afford a salary somewhere in the region of twenty five to thirty thousand, something like that. And uh, obviously, we'd have to decide the exact amount, uh, um, you know, when you start. Um, and they go, okay, that sounds fine. Um, and then they come and they uh, and they see their contract of employment. And on their first day, you say, well, look, um, I'm really sorry. I know I said. Uh, is going to be twenty five or thirty thousand, but actually the the most I think we can afford in our business at the moment is twenty four thousand. So it's a bit below the expectation. Disappointing, mm. right? disappointing. Mm. Now, if instead of that, in the interview you had said, "Well, um, I think we can afford maybe twenty two to twenty three thousand, something like that," um, and the person goes, "Okay, that sounds fine." And uh, and then on their first day you say, "Well, look, actually I found a bit more money." And we can, I think we can go up to 24,000 happiness. Yeah. And this is the thing. You've got to create, you've got to, your, your brain is motivated by being positively surprised. So try and give people positive surprises. And that, I think, will help to motivate them. Oh, I, I think that's wonderful. You also mentioned in your book, you've got three T's. Uh, is it ten- tension, triggers and treatment? Um, could you delve into that? Is that something that can lend itself as well to running a team? Or? Yes, it can. It's uh, it's in relation to uh, this thing called behaviour change, which is where you, you what you want to do is to try to get someone to do something differently from what they're currently doing mm. um, and to keep doing it. Right. So, you know, if going back to smoking, for example, it's all very well getting someone to try to stop smoking, but you've got to get them to keep stop smoking or or get someone to do more exercise. You've got to sustain it. So basically, this is how it works, is that um, you have to build up or create what we call the motivational tension that makes them dissatisfied with the current behavior, hopeful that they can change so that now there's there's something in them they're not doing anything yet but they kind of there's something in them that's sort of ready to go um but that often isn't enough you then have to populate their lives with these triggers which are the little cues the little prompts the the sort of little events that just tip them over the edge from being just um motivated to do something to actually having a go and then the treatment part of it is what you need to do to keep it going. Because, of course, the easiest thing in the world is just to go back to where you were. In the field of smoking, again, um, the tension is provided by putting the price of cigarettes up, by uh, making sure that people are aware of the health risks of smoking, uh, by telling them about how much better their lives will be if they stop smoking. So they're thinking most smokers are in a state of tension. They feel, well, I really, really could do with stopping smoking, but they don't. So... What you need is triggers, and that's where these mass media campaigns come in. They see a, they see an advert on the mm. telly, and it doesn't tell them anything they didn't already know. 
That's not its job. Its job is it's a trigger that takes that motivation, turns it into action or the GP advice. Mm. And then, of course, we've got these things like nicotine patches and so on. Mm. Which, by the way, are effective at helping you stop smoking. They don't help everyone, but they do increase your chances. They improve the odds with the dice, if you like.、Um, so the three parts of the process then is: you generate the motivation to change, you create triggers, each one of which gives a little prompt, which may then lead to them start starting, and then you do whatever's necessary to keep that going. I mean, I can think of、um, it makes so much sense. For instance, I was watching a program actually shared it on the Retrition channels about、uh, food choices and how they're premeditated a lot of the time by marketing. So, of course. Impromptu triggers, where maybe you've been in a taxi on the way to a restaurant, and a picture is on the back of the taxi, an advertisement saying, "You, you know, enjoy this fried chicken." Then you go to the restaurant, and you don't even realise you're doing it. You're ordering fried chicken, and there's a big difference in. What I find in my line of work as a nutritionist, when I was working in the NHS, people didn't want to see me. It was their last resort. Whereas now, in my private practice, people have got to the point you said where they have had enough. They have had all of those cues around them, and they just want change. So it's it's really important to go through those stages. It is. I mean, they, you can go through them very quickly. Yes. <laughs> actually,、um, <laughs> one of the things uh, that uh, people think is that is that you know, sometimes it, you have to actually go through them step by step by step. But you know, literally, one of these stages can take a millisecond.、Uh, and you hear of people who it's like we talk about this road to Damascus experience or this、uh, aha moment where someone they're walking along, they're quite happy, or they they may be a bit dissatisfied with with what they're doing, whether whatever it might be.、Uh, It could be with a relationship, for example,、mm -hmm. and then something flips in their head, and they go, "Hang on a minute! Hang on a minute! What am I doing? This is nuts!" And and the the trick there for those of us who want to help people to change their behaviour is to seize that moment. The phrase is "carpe diem."、Mm. Uh, seize the moment, and don't say to the person, "Hold, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. Let's just go through the pros and the cons. Are you absolutely sure you want to do this?" Because they can easily flip back again. What you do is you grab them and you say, "Fantastic! I, I, that's absolutely great. Let's get started and get them on the road." Oh, everybody should listen to this podcast. Honestly, Robert, I think so many people can benefit from these little tips. It's just understanding people and just knowing that not everyone's always the same at the different stage, and you just need to seize the day, like you said. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If we could talk about the younger generation again um, in a different way, in terms of motivation to help them at the earlier stages that parents can do, like you said, is there an extrinsic motivation key for learning or cultivating happier children in society, more enthusiastic kids? Hmm. <laughs> big <laughs> no, question. Big, big question. <laughs> and, you know, again, it's one of these things that a lot of people have done a lot of research on mm. and there's a lot written on it. And so it's a question of trying to figure out what the what the key messages are and what the how you distill it. And I think that one of the key things, really, really key things, is security. Mm that children need to feel secure in themselves and in their relationships and in their attachments and in who who they belong to humans are very social creatures we we absolutely need to feel belonging i i it, it sounds a bit odd sometimes when you think about teenagers who who want to rebel but teenagers actually are the people who need most to feel this sense mm. of belonging it, it, even if it's belonging to people who are rebelling and i that i was certainly like that as a teenager so feeling when you when you feel secure when you feel attached when you feel it's everything's okay and you're okay um it's so much easier then to explore and to go out into the world knowing that you, there's a base you can go back to to try things out to take risks around uh adventures that you might otherwise be afraid to um so so i would say that the first point that any school or any parent or anyone who has anything to do with uh, young people have to do is to help them to feel secure and and okay in themselves. And sometimes it's difficult because, quite honestly, young people can be very annoying sometimes. Yeah. I mean, families can go through divorces and there's all sorts, yeah, all of, sorts things of horrible that things can happen. Yeah. And, and, it, and the reality is, of course, that you know, m- most parents don't get training in being parents. No. And why should you? Uh, it's kind of assumed that we know what we're doing. But what often happens, even with, the, even with good parenting, is that because children are quite annoying, um, that you end up in a situation where you're you're in, you're punishing children um, in a way that's not entirely consistent or predictable. And one of the things that we know, not just with humans, but with other species as well, is that unpredictable punishment is really bad for our development. Uh, and so if a child does something on one day and they seem to get away with it, on another day... Um, they're getting punished or they're getting punished and they don't know what they're getting punished for or they're getting punished for something they didn't think was actually something that they'd done wrong. Mm. This creates all of this sort of insecurity, uncertainty, and and it causes depression, it causes anxiety, and, and, and that sets off a whole range of things that have consequences down the line. So um, steady, um, loving, I know it sounds obvious, no, no, uh, but security um, and... Um, you know, we we often jump to punishment too quickly because it makes us feel better. Someone does something annoying and you want to punish them. You want them to you know, suffer a little bit because they did something mm. bad, whoever it is. 
But if you want to create a human being that is going to be、uh, happy, effective, and secure, that is very rarely the way to do it. Yeah.、Um, a much better technique. Again, it's in the parenting books,、uh, and they happen to be right in this occasion.、Um, <laughs> is、uh, if if you have a behaviour that you want to get rid of, which you would normally punish, then. The phrase is what we would call in the in the jargon "time out from reinforcement." <laughs> yeah. Time out from basically you、uh, you simply disengage. So you're not punishing, you're not rewarding, you're just not engaging.、Mm. And so when you've got the child on the bus who's creating a fuss and so on. And I think many of us as parents have all been there.、Oh, I have it all to come. <laughs> <laughs> you do, but it's fun. Yes,、uh, it's good. Fun.、Um, but it, instead of、uh, you know engaging with the child、uh, in its in its agenda, essentially the optimum approach, if you can do it, and there are other things like not pissing off all the other people on the bus. Yeah.、Um, you know, if you can do it, is to try to、uh, have as little engagement with the bad behaviour as possible. But the moment you see some good behaviour, you reward it,、mm. and that's the key: is consistent positive reward for the good behaviour. This is when,、um, obviously, as a parent to be, I just think it's so fascinating. First of all, and it's very easy, like you said, to get stuck in your adult mind, forgetting that you are conversing or reacting. Engaging with someone that his mind hasn't even really developed yet,、It's、still got so long to go. And I think a good example would be if a child dropped their food on the floor one day and you just ignored it, and the next day you then got a bit angry about it, and then the next day, you know they don't know what is going on. Really, really good tips.、Um, if we go back to maybe the health of the nation. We know that、um, the UK, in general, we have a bit of a population crisis when it comes to、uh, metabolic disease on the rise. If we touch on, because I've talked about nutrition a lot on these podcasts, maybe exercise. I think when people say it's all too easy to avoid doing it, you know, they don't want to go to the gym or do a class or even just maybe go for that extra walk. Is there anything that we can encourage or do here? Yes,、uh, there is, and it does work. Ooh, <laughs> please share it with us all. I want、um, this knowledge. Right. So,、um, so that the key to this, as with other parts of motivation and getting people to do things, is just to remember one very basic premise, which is that at every moment we do what we most want or need to do at that moment. At that moment, not at any other moment. At that moment, right? So, let's say you're、uh, counselling someone to try to encourage them to do more exercise. At this moment, we're sitting in a room in which we're having a conversation, and you can be saying, you know, have you thought about, you know, perhaps walking to work, or have you thought about going for a walk in the park if there is one near you, or going to the gym, and. The person's conjuring up in their mind what that might be like, and they might think, "Oh, actually, yeah, I could probably do that. That's that's okay." And then, you, so you you continue the conversation, and they and they say, "Yeah, okay, that's what I'm going to do." And then they leave the room, and that moment has gone,、mm. and now the only trace of that moment is a little memory in their head. Right, and now the situation arises where they're,、uh, let's say, it's a Saturday morning. And they've decided they had previously decided that they were going to go out for a walk on Saturday mornings,、um, 
but it's raining and, uh, you know, there's much better things to do. (laughs) So, So it's about the competition that exists at every moment for us to do things and how we can make that competition work in favour of more exercise. And the way that uh, you do it is to, and, and it's it's easier said than done. If it yes. was if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it, right? We'd all be <laughs> yes. doing it. Um, and if it was if I'd invented it, I'd have a Nobel Prize. <laughs> so, um, uh, but it is still the same principle. But it is the principle, and the trick is how to do it. Uh, you know, uh, and it and it's different for different people. But there are things that you can do to make that momentary want or need more at any one time. One of them is to set a specific agenda for it. So, for example, if uh, let's say you've decided you're going to go to the gym, you set a date, you set a time uh, and you know exactly what you're going to do. And ideally, you have someone else to go with so that uh, it's not just you that is going to not do this. Mm -hmm. You have to phone them up and say, well, actually, I've decided I'm not going to go. Yeah. So things. So one of the very clear things that we know is that people are more likely to do things they said they were going to do if it's very clear what those things are, when they are, and if there's things supporting that at that time. Um, the second thing is to recognise that um, it's got to be enjoyable. Yes, it's completely, got to Robert. Be enjoyable. Oh, if you don't love the exercise yeah. you do, you're no way no. you're going to make that a lifestyle. No. And things can become more enjoyable, as you know, with nutrition. Mm. I mean, you get this. I always remember my my mother saying to me, trying to get me to eat spinach. Oh, try it. You'll like it. And I said, well, I've tried it and I don't like it. But the reality is, as you know, that if you keep trying it, you do get to like it. Familiarity Familiarity does breed liking. That's a very common psychological thing. So people can, if once they start in a routine, it can become more and more liked. It actually goes back to the extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. So you start the exercise program because uh, of your health, because the doctor said you, you should, or because a friend of yours uh, said, well, why don't you try coming to the gym? You go, oh, all right then. Yeah. And then you start to get to like it the more you do it. Yeah. And, and so recognising that things can become more uh, attractive the more you do them. But also, and I think this is a key one for uh, giving exercise advice, is finding something that people can like. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have to be fantastic. They don't have to. It doesn't have to be. Oh, this is the best thing I ever did. But it's got to be something that they actually feel when the prospect of it comes up. They go, Oh, that'll be all right. Rather than feeling that. intimidated, yeah, scared, or exactly. I, I completely agree. I think there's a new culture emerging in London where. The new generations go and they meet for a class now, or they, they it's in their diaries, or your PA will know that you've got the gym in the diary at X time. So, like you said, accountability and enjoyment. I, mm. c- I completely agree, Robert. I think another question would be about mental health. Um, people are talking about it, which is which is good. However, I don't think many people know how to deal with it or where to go. And in terms of anyone suffering from depression, do you have any uh, strategies that you'd suggest that could hmm. be beneficial? It's tough. It is tough. And I'm not a clinical psychologist. Uh, so my very first piece of advice would be uh, actually don't be afraid to get professional advice. Completely. Uh, that would be absolutely my first protocol. I mean, it's there. 
it, yeah. I mean, it's not always there when you need it, unfortunately, but but it is there. We do have a national health service, at least for the time being, uh, and people should just make use of it. And I think that's, um, you know, that'd be my first thing. And now uh, you'll probably be aware that uh, we have this service that is being created nationally called IAPT, yeah. which is this, uh, I can't actually remember what it stands for, it's I-A-P-T, but it's Brief Psychological uh, Therapies. Uh, yes, yes, I can't either. I'm going to have to Google that now after the episode. <laughs> yeah, and um, but you can, you can, yeah, you can mm. Google it and you can like, yeah. look it up and, and, and you just go on the website and you, uh, I, you can either call a number or you can just book an appointment. It's so efficient. Yeah, and it's a very good system and by and large there aren't waiting lists. One of the worst things, you know, when you're really depressed or anxious and you're absolutely in a crisis is to be told, well, there's a three-month waiting list. That is not acceptable. Um, But with the IAPT service, that shouldn't be the case. You should be able to get to speak to someone um, soon. So I think definitely professional advice. Um, If I had to give some non-professional advice, if I may, uh, as a psychologist who's not a clinical psychologist, one of the things, but I do know know, many people with mental health problems, um, one of the things that I think may help is to is to say to yourself, well, look, depression and anxiety and other kinds of uh, psychological problems, it's bad enough having those without feeling bad about having those. Yeah. And so uh, what I always say to people is it's okay. You know, I'm short-sighted. I will always be short-sighted probably. Yeah. Uh, and I wear glasses. <laughs> mm. it, it doesn't stop me being short-sighted. I'm still short-sighted, but I wear glasses and that helps me to cope with them. And that's what it is with mental health as well. There's a very good chance. You may be fine. It, you, you may get over it. It may be a short-term thing, but you may have a vulnerability and it's okay. You know, it, it's not your fault. Uh, there's a, there's all sorts of factors that come into a play. It's not your fault. And don't feel bad about feeling bad. It's yeah. okay. It's a level of acceptance. Absolutely. And and as, we, as you'll be aware, there is this whole branch of uh, treatment called acceptance and commitment therapy, mm. which has a very strong uh, evidence base for it. Um, but at the very least, people are, don't have to sort of beat themselves up over the fact that they're they're feeling bad. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. The acceptance part, I think, is very difficult. But if in society we made it more acceptable, that's a good step, isn't it, for everybody? And like you said, please do go and check out the resources that we mentioned there. Now, I do have questions from our audience for you. Uh, The first one is from Ali. Ali has said, are there any good motivational, motivational apps that you would suggest? I wish I could say that there are, and I know what they are, and there's fantastic evidence to tell you that these work. Uh, but it's early days at the moment with apps, actually. Mm. And so uh, I, 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 there's none I could recommend. Um, what I would do is to say, well, look, most of them are free or cost 99p or something. Um, and so there's very little harm in trying them out and seeing which ones work for you. And the reality is that you have to think about apps like this as you would uh, any consumer product, that not every every type of kettle 
is the type of kettle you want. Not every type of app for dealing with motivational issues is the one that's going to suit you. So you can you can shop around. And, you know, many of them are free and some of them cost a little bit of money. And it does make me laugh with apps because I'm like this. I sort of think, 99p I for know. an app? I'm not paying that. I know when some are free. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's ridiculous. I'll yeah. pay two fifty five for a cup of coffee. I know. <laughs> but all this information in one place I for 99p, know. it's all relative, isn't it? Um, to that moment that you're in, as you said earlier. Exactly. Depends on the moment. It does indeed. It does indeed. Um, so Alicia has asked, uh, she said, I'm a late riser, but if I tried to become more of a morning person, would this help with my motivation? Not necessarily. I think uh, actually, you know, there is some... <laughs> Sounds interesting and strange, but there is some uh, sort of quite constitutional differences between people who are sort of more morning people and mm. people who are more evening people. Um, and uh, I think the key is to recognise which one you are. Uh, and of course, life being what it is, you may have to be a morning person, whether you like it or not, if you've got a job that yeah. you know, means you've got to get up in the morning. But if you don't, then, you know, make your lifestyle fit what you're like rather than the other way around. Thank you. As we say, I think on every episode I've recorded, you are all unique. That is the thing to remember. Uh, Tally has said, my boyfriend is becoming, oh, we've kind of touched on this, increasingly lazy. What are some good tips to get him motivated and up off the sofa? So I might actually just say, Tally, go back to the bit that we discussed before, unless you can add anything else there, Robert. Well, I think that um, when you're trying to motivate someone else to do something... Don't call them lazy. <laughs> don't call them lazy. No, it, it funnily enough, rarely works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, but another way of looking at it is, is what is laziness? What, it, you know, it, if the boyfriend had something they really wanted to do, they would do it. Mm. And so... Uh, the problem is not so much uh, that there's nothing necessarily that they want to do, but they haven't found that thing, um, and they're not and they're not engaging with it. Um, but one of the problems with uh, lying around on the sofa, whoever you are, uh, is that it can become a, a sort of a vicious circle. That the more you lie around, the harder it is to do anything other than lie around. Mm. Um, and, and typically, what you need to do to activate people in any situation is just to do whatever's necessary to get people active and doing something, and then to break that cycle, and then to reinforce that. Um, so a reward, maybe. Oh, let's go for a pub lunch, but let's walk there. Yeah, that kind of thing. Food at uh, the end. <laughs> that's true. That's good. Uh, yeah, you definitely. Uh, Although yeah, I shouldn't be encouraging using food as a reward. This is an extreme situation. It's the initial motivator. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean it's it's but but there's another dimension to this when you're trying to uh to influence the behavior of a partner or someone who's very close to you and that is you've got your own personal dynamics and mm. the reality is that people are much more likely to be influenced by people they don't know than by someone they know really well because they don't feel with someone they really know well that they don't worry about letting you down or, yeah. or you know, it's just one of yeah. those unfortunate things whereas if it's someone they don't know then they feel more uh, I suppose our social norms are more towards them um, you know uh, yep. being sort of polited at no, any rate uh, so it, it is difficult but what I would say is is uh, I was going to say nagging 
doesn't work. But actually, nagging does work. It just has unfortunate side it, effects. And how it's <laughs> delivered. Yes, no, com- completely. And of, of course, it's all relative. It's like the question of health. How do you find? How do you define health? Maybe your boyfriend had been really busy at work that week. And absolutely, you, know, yeah, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. don't know, yeah. do you? No, you're absolutely right. Naturally, you know, I've just done the thing that I would always advise people not to do in my situation, which is to jump to a to treatment without yeah. making a diagnosis. <laughs> I, we don't know what the we boyfriend's circumstances no. are like. But that was a good hypothetical situation we created between us there so I think that is helpful Robert thank you the last question is from George should I be setting myself goals um, as a motivator or can these be negative if I don't actually get them so I guess failure Goals are really important. The absolute skeleton and backbone, (laughs) backbone being part of the skeleton, of behaviour change uh, is around goal setting, self-monitoring and feedback. Mm. And pretty much everything else sort of hangs off that skeleton in terms of the rewards and and so on that you use. So goal setting is really important. But uh, people talk about things called smart goals. Yes, which you will have come I across. I do, yes. So goals, for them to be effective, they they have to be achievable but, but relatively challenging. Um, but if you don't achieve the goal, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You reset uh, and you adjust accordingly. So, yeah, definitely set goals, uh, along with everything else I've said uh, in this mm. podcast. Um, don't use, fa- uh, you know, not achieving the goal. I almost said failure. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> not achieving the goal as a punishment. Mm. Use it as an opportunity to say, OK, we'll I didn't achieve that. What went wrong? Mm. Looking forward. It's mm. always about looking forward. Yeah. Tomorrow's another day. What's done is done. What's past is past. It's done. Yeah, it's almost like what an athlete, I guess, would do if they're not reaching that kick over a... I can't even think what it's called right now. I'm trying to picture it over in my hands. Over hurdles. Yes, over a hurdle or something. You're, you're trying to reach mm. something and then you have to push it back a little bit to then mm. move forward a little bit. Yeah, always think forward. Yeah. Because what's done, you know, literally, and this is from... This is actually a quote from um, Macbeth, which is my totally favourite play yes, of all brilliant, time. brilliant, Shakespeare. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, what's done is done, cannot be undone. That's absolutely true. But you look forward and you say, well, what lessons have I learned and what can I learn to make things better Mm. in the future? It's a very simple lesson. Gorgeous quote. And if you want to look up more SMART goals in Renourish, there is in the My Philosophy bit a section on SMART goals. And of course, if you read Robert's book, you will have a whole insight into pretty much everything you need to know about behaviour change as well. Um, So that leads us on to our fact or fiction round. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So I'm going to ask you 10 questions mm-hmm. and if you could answer fact or fiction if possible. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I'll give it a go. Okay. <laughs> greater rewards lead to greater motivation. Sometimes true. So let's call it faction. Love it. Yes. Yes. I love a faction. That's the best answer. Fear inspires motivation. Only when it's accompanied by hope. So fear is a really bad motivator when you don't see an opening which says, how can I avoid this uh, catastrophic thing that's going to be fool me? So so in any of these media campaigns, what they always do, if you notice, uh, all the good ones, is that they arouse fear and then say, but you can do this. And that's yeah. really important. The hope. Remember hope. UK workers are more motivated by money than European countries. Fiction. Setbacks are good motivators. 
usually not. Yeah, I'd agree with that one. Um, addictions divert your motivation levels. That's a very interesting statement. <laughs> I would say yes in a very complicated way. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you have to read the book there, I think. Over half of the people who work in the UK lack motivation. No. The biggest influence on your motivation levels is yourself. Yeah, that's true. Being more active improves motivation. Yeah, that's probably true. Motivating children supports their learning and attention. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and the quantity of sleep you get impacts how motivated you feel. Yes, that is also true. And Brilliant. it's a, a U-shaped curve, like so many things in life, um, that too little, too much, bad, happy, medium, good. Oh, what a brilliant quick fire round. Thank you, Robert, so much. Uh, that nearly does wrap up this episode today. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today would be that every now and again, I think we all need a little bit of motivation to get us going. However, the higher the expectations, and we have touched on SMART goals, there can be a greater risk. So you need to have those realistic expectations to increase your chances of keeping motivated and maintaining that a healthier approach to your life. And if you put pressure on yourself to achieve any goals too quickly, sometimes your overall health may suffer too. So... I think something I get in my clinic a lot with nutrition, you need to take it one step at a time. You need to be very, very careful when you make any kind of changes to your overall health and just be very realistic. So remember why you're making the choices and setting the goals might be the key to keeping you on course to staying motivated. And I find it really helpful myself to do a to-do list. I'm always doing one of those of what my goals are because it also acts as a reminder, I think, um, it kind of pushes me to achieve them. But if, Robert, you could share with us a food for thought today, a take-home message, what would that be? I think it would be uh, that it doesn't matter. It would be to go back to what I said a bit earlier, which is what's done is done and the future is another day. I, God, I, I feel so sort of crass when I'm saying no, it, but it is true. so important. Um, and to think about what you want. What do you want out of this encounter? What do you want out of this day? What do you want out of this situation? And then rather than just reacting to events emotionally uh, and saying, well, that was really bad or, uh, you know, I'm so disappointed, you think, well, OK, how can I get what I want? Oh, to the point, precise. Remember, you're rolling that dice every day, everyone. Robert, thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach those higher highs in the charts and to help more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.